Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Learning with the Lion, a community read-through of the Gospel of Mark. Over the summer of 2023, members of the Ligonier community are coming together to walk through a 13-week exploration of Jesus' life, practicing reading the Bible together and asking what it means for everyday life. For more information, visit epiphanyligonier.org mark, where you can also sign up for our companion e-newsletter. You know this, I think, that I take great pains to select the image that goes on the front of the bulletin every week. I try to do it quickly, but I, I, I end up spending some serious time looking because I want to make it a good image. I want it to be relevant. I want it to, to, to be something that actually helps with your faith and not just clip art or, or a stock image. And this week is no exception because the image on the front of your bulletin is a painting by Vincent van Gogh, and it's called um, The Sower at Sunset. I don't know if you knew this, but Van Gogh, early in his life, was an incredibly religious man. His father and his grandfather were Calvinist ministers. He grew up in a parsonage attached to a church. He enjoyed translating the Bible in his spare time. For a season, he worked in his youth as the assistant to a local Methodist minister. Twice he applied to seminary, but twice he failed the interests exam. And an evangelical organization gave Vincent Van Gogh a trial run as a lay preacher, sort of an unordained figure to go and serve a small community in his hometown. Uh, It did not go well. He had a zealousness that was off-putting. At one point, Van Gogh decided he was going to give his bedroom, his apartment, to a homeless man. And he would leave his apartment and he would go and sleep on a, a, a stack of straw in a nearby shed. And he was trying to illustrate the importance of taking care of the poor as a Christian teaching. But the church, the little ministry he was serving, did not take kindly to it. In fact, they thought it was a stunt and they fired him. And the failure to become a clergyman or a lay pastor, it sent Van Gogh into a tailspin. He eventually discovered, of course, he had a talent for his impressionistic art that he had developed on the side. And this jilted painter, he would never step foot in a church again after this. He was crushed. Um, But his paintings betray, and art critics will tell you they betray, a hidden spirituality. Van Gogh, for example, painted a lot of sunflowers. He loved sunflowers. The reason he loved them, he said in a letter, was because, and you know this, that a sunflower the face of the sunflower looks to the sun and follows the sun throughout the day. And he thought, what a beautiful metaphor for the Christian faith, right? To, to keep your eyes on that which is pure and right and good and holy. So Van Gogh painted lots and lots of sunflowers. And he didn't paint the, the extravagant wealthy people of the day. He painted normal people, common people, right? His first big painting was called The Potato Eaters. And it was people sitting around a table uh, eating potatoes, and uh, he said, well, you know, God, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor. Here are the people God loves among the poor. He never painted um, the wealthy or the elite. He painted the, the laborers and the families and the salt of the earth folks. And he, one of his favorite images he went back to over and over again was the image of the sower. Um, of the 2,300 works of art that we have cataloged of Van Gogh, um, 31 of them are devoted to this imagery of the sower. He painted the the sower or sketched the sower 
uh, at least 31 times. He was obsessed with this image. In fact, two years before his death, he wrote to a friend and said, I am just obsessed with with infinitude. I'm obsessed with infinitude. And that comes through when you see my drawings of sunflowers and sowers. So when Van Gogh paints the sower, he's looking, I think, and, and thinking of himself in that position of someone who was a sower at one point, who was scattering seeds, someone who was in full-time ministry, who wanted to be a sower. Um, but instead, um, we have the painter instead. As we continue through Mark's gospel, right, we're, we're in the parable of the sower right now. This is the first parable. This is the first parable that Mark records in all of his gospel. We're, we're four chapters in, and we're finally getting to the parables um, that we know Jesus for so well. And I love the imagery of this, right? Because the crowds have gotten so bad. People are coming from a uh, hundred miles away to hear Jesus preach and teach. And they're coming from, they're making multiple days journeys because they need something and they think Jesus has it. But when Jesus is preaching and trying to preach, people crowd him. They just want to like touch his clothes because they think he'll heal him and it does. And so people are just crushing him. So he has the disciples take a boat and put it offshore and he climbs into the boat. And so he's like three or four, maybe 10 feet from shore. And um, the people are all sort of scattered and sitting around the shore so that he can uninterruptedly do his preaching ministry. Isn't that wild to think about that the crowds are crushing around him? He can't be part of the crowds. He has to be separate from the crowds in a boat so that he can actually do the preaching work he has been called to do. And so in the context of this massive crowd of people who are flocking to see Jesus, and if you were a betting man and you were watching this happen, you would say, hey man, this Jesus, he's going places. Look at this crowd from all over the place. But Jesus, in some sense, he knows it's smoke and mirrors. He knows it's smoke and mirrors. And that's the context of our three parables today. All three parables deal with this idea of the kingdom of God being counterintuitive and gracious and ultimately something that many people reject. And so when Jesus talks about the different soils in our reading today, he's looking out into this vast crowd of people and recognizing of all of these people, a vast majority of them are not going to understand what I'm talking about. And a vast majority of people of them are not going to, this, this kingdom message is not going to take root and grow faith. And that is the context by which Jesus tells us three parables about the kingdom of God. The first being the sower parable, right? He's, the, the seeds are being sown. Um, and Jesus says that, that preaching is like that. Um, teaching is like that. Ministry is like that. You throw it out there, and, and it doesn't always land, and you can't really tell what is good soil, what is bad soil. You just have to sort of throw it out there and keep doing it over and over again. And then not only that, but he says a second parable about this mystery of plant growth, you know. Uh, poetically, Mark's, Jesus has Mark saying, you know, the, the plant grows, but we know not how. It's like, well, you know, we, we kind of know how. We, we have biology and we have chemistry and, and horticulture. But still, Jesus' point stands, which is to say that, that we can create the conditions for a plant to grow and thrive, but we are not the plant and we can't control the plant itself. We can give it the right food. We can give it the right environment. The plant is the individual actor. Jesus means to say that in the kingdom work, as you do this gospel work, you can't control other people. 
you can create the conditions and you can do the best job you can, but it's not always the case that the plant is going to grow. And then Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, it's small. It arrives in smallness. Um, the, the little mustard seeds, again, I showed the kids a minute ago. It, it's smaller than the little ball in the tip of a ballpoint pen. It's, it's smaller than the little bits of pepper when you crack a pepper kernel and the pepper comes through. It's smaller than that. They're absolutely tiny. I could pour a whole pack of seeds on the floor here after church, and um, no one would see them. they just bend, blend into the carpet, and you'd vacuum them up, maybe, but you wouldn't even be able to tell the floor was dirty. That's how small these seeds are. And Jesus says the kingdom of God's like that. It, 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 it hits people, and you can't see it at first because it takes a while to take root, but eventually it starts to grow and it takes a while, and it becomes the great tree, right, it, that, that provides shade and, and, and blessing to others and other people. But, but at first, it's so small, you can barely perceive it. And so all of this, you get this picture of ministry, um, which is that it's hard. <laughs> that, that sharing the gospel with others, doing gospel ministry, not just for clergy, but for anybody, it's really hard. Because it, it operates on this different wavelength. We want big results. We want them soon. We want them fast. And we want them to be efficient. And Jesus says, doing work for the kingdom of God, it's inefficient. And it's hard to tell what's happening. And it's out of our control. Um, and that's part of what he wants to communicate to his disciples. Because they too will be doing gospel ministry. And he's heading off uh, disappointment at the pass. I mentioned from this pulpit that I am a terrible gardener. And I have an update for you. I'm still a terrible gardener. <laughs> Um, nothing has changed there, but I did have some success recently. I'm very excited about this. Um, many of you know, I've talked about this before, but uh, we bought the house in 2019, and the previous owners, uh, they were wonderful gardeners. They had this garden that was big. They had it fenced off to keep the, the critters out, and, and uh, we moved in, and it was there, and um, they had all sorts of different potted, uh, planted areas in the yard, and this particular area... Um, you could tell they put a lot of care into it, and it was some place they spent a lot of time, like 20 or 30 years ago. And now, um, when we moved in, uh, the, it was all weeds, it was unsalvageable, uh, dandelions and the fencing had rusted. Like, you were more likely to get tetanus out of this garden than vegetables. It was bad. And so over the years, we've slowly been tearing it down and trying to, to, to work with this one patch of area, this 30 foot by 30 foot square area in our yard. And we made the decision to, to, to sort of begin returning it to grass. And so, you know, we got the, the rusty fencing is gone, the fence post is pulled out, and we've been getting out, you know, a bunch of the dandelions and trying to kill it and, and, and get this area back to something usable. Um, and, well, um, the result is that uh, a couple weeks ago, I finally put down some grass seed. We got to that point, and it looks better. <laughs> It's a lot of work to get it to look a little better, but it's starting to look better. Like grass is starting to come up and, and we've stepped on the grass and it hasn't died and this rain's been great for it. I mean, the, the, the yard is returning to something normal. We've been working in this yard, but it's taken years to get to this point. And even then, the work that we've done is patchy. There's still a lot more work to be done. And the point is, is you don't have to be an ancient agrarian farmer to know that what Jesus is talking about is true. Planting and tending and harvesting it can be extremely frustrating and difficult work. We know this from our own experience. If we've ever done any gardening, we know that horticulture and agriculture are tough enough. How much more frustrating then, Jesus wants us to imagine, how much more frustrating and difficult is it when we're not working with plants, but we're working with people. 
And this is the ultimate point. Jesus is talking about the difficulty of communicating and advancing the kingdom of God in our reading today. Not only do his words land on inhospitable souls, he can't control how they respond to the message. And you don't always see right away that the message has landed because it hits in smallness and it takes so long to grow. I think maybe that's why Vincent van Gogh was haunted by this image of the sower, right? This work is, is discouraging. It can be frustrating. It feels futile sometimes. And, and so Van Gogh is sitting there doing all this work, and he has this great vision of being a pastor like many in his family. And, well, it, it's in this great rejection and fear that he hangs up his um, bag of seeds and picks up a paintbrush um, because he, I don't think, was necessarily prepared or taught that this work is incredibly hard. And people don't always respond to it as you would hope or pray. I wonder if you can relate to Van Gogh. I wonder if you um, know of anybody, if there's someone close to you, um, if you share this discouragement, um, that continual work, the the dead patchy spots, the sort of um, the two steps forward, one step back, one step back, two step forward kind of work that uh, it can be to, to do the work of God's kingdom. Uh, Many of you have confided in me privately about a child, a grandchild, a parent, a close friend, a sibling, someone who you love deeply. And you've come to me and you've said, I'm so worried about them. I'm so anxious about them because I want them to come to know Jesus. Like They have so many problems in their life and Jesus would solve all of them if they just had some deep relationship with God. They would have this sort of great wound from their past that would be healed. They have this great um, sort of um, view on life that's harming them that Jesus could remove from them. Um, They would understand what love really is, and they'd stop seeking it out in wrong places. And you've come to me and you've talked to me about this privately. I would say all of you, but many of you, most of you, I would say. And, And you have people you love. They're hurting, they're struggling, they're failing, they're floundering. And, and ultimately, you know they need Jesus, and so you're trying, and you're just like throwing the seeds. You're trying to throw the seeds, and, and you're loving, you're doing the best you can to tell them about Jesus, and it, it, nothing seems to be taking root. Maybe we feel stuck because the soil is bad. And when you look at how Jesus explains these three bad soils, you can see more of what the kingdom is up against, what you are up against. Um, the shorthand that we might give to these soils, we can talk about them. It's the Satan soil the scared of persecution and rejection soil, and the seduced by the world soil. You know, like those are the three soils that Jesus is ministering and working through. So those aren't small challenges. Let's recognize those headwinds for what they are. And so then the question becomes, if we are faithful and loving as Jesus asked us to, and if we are continuing to throw seeds and not seeing anything, the question is, is what do you do with bad soil? Can bad soil be changed? Um, does, can people who have bad soil become good soil? And um, I have some lawn experience that maybe can shed some light on this because I can tell you exactly what changed, what moved the needle when I was working in my yard and trying to get rid of this garden. Um, the answer was a secondhand electric corded, beat up rototiller that I got used off of Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> That's what it was. I got the rototiller out and I started tearing up the grass and, 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 and it 
tore up all the dandelion weeds and, and killed them, and it brought some soil up to the surface that hadn't been used. It was, it was tilling the soil and, and, and moving things around. It created these great little pockets for the grass seed to land. And, and so I, I said, okay, well, that was the thing that broke through for me. It was, it was the tilling. And once I sort of did the tilling and, and, and moved some things around, all of a sudden I started to see the little shoots of green start to pop up. Um, so when the soil goes bad, um, when it's, things aren't growing, maybe it needs a tilling. I got a tiller, and I'm here to tell you that God occasionally gets into the tilling work himself. I'm going to tell you about two times that God went tilling in his garden. Because the Bible uses the metaphor of tilling the soil a number of times. And the Bible, especially the Old Testament prophets, use it to describe two different phenomena. The first is the imagery of judgment. The prophet Micah uses this imagery in Michael chapter 3. And the problem is that Israel at that point has become absurdly corrupt. The rich are abusing the poor. The clergy are favoring the rich over the poor. And um, the prophets are taking money to tell people what they want to hear. They're not right prophets. Um, it's, Micah does not mince words. Micah says the state of Israel at the time, it's like cannibalism. Um, that the, the people, are the, the, the poor and the, the destitute and the, the folks at the bottom of the totem pole are, are being consumed by the up people at the top. And Micah says that's not good. Um, and he uses this imagery of, of cannibalism to say, well, you know, you're, you, this is how you treat cows. You, you use them and then you eat them. And it's like, that's what you're doing with the people. You're using them like you use them as livestock. And God says to the people, here's what we need to do. We're going to till this town apart. Jerusalem, Judah, the whole area, I'm going to take a tiller to it. I'm going to plow it. And we're going to take it and break everything down. We're going to destroy everything that's grown there and level it. And we're going to start over. Because this is not working. So in the Old Testament, the image of tilling, of plowing, has to do with judgment. But it also has to do with new life. This comes from Ezekiel. Ezekiel in chapter 36, he has promises to Israel. They're out, they're being ex they've been exiled at this point. They've been kicked out. God has done the tilling already. And the people of Israel have been exiled to Babylon. And as they're getting ready to return, God says, I'm going to send my people and I'm going to have the land of Israel tilled again. That way when you return, it will be ready for you. And you can come and you can plant yourselves afresh again. And you're going to have so much growth and so much prosperity and so much joy um, that it's going to eclipse anything you've ever had in the past. That's the prophetic word that Israel gets from Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel in these passages uh, says that actually tilling can be a sign of God's promise of new life, of lifting up. And it's easy to see the imagery how it's both hands. How the, the act of tilling, right, is God's judgment and God's mercy working together to bring about a massive life-altering change in someone's life, in the life of Israel, and it's part judgment, but it's new life at the same time. It's things aren't good, we need a fresh start, and boom, God pulls out the oxen and the plow and gets to turning that soil over and killing that which is there so that room can be made afresh for the life-giving green growth. So the Bible has this imagery on hand about how to change soil and says that the great tiller is God himself, that God himself comes to change the soil. And when he does so, all of a sudden, 
the seeds that we have been sowing start to sink in in a way they haven't before. And, and we start to see the change happen. I think that's the vision of our reading. The reading today is that there are some, there are some bad soil out there, but God's got a big, strong tiller, and he's ready to go. Um, so if God is the tiller, then what does that mean for us? Well, we are the sower. We are proclaiming and preaching and teaching the kingdom of God with repetition, right? I don't know about you guys, but it always struck me as odd that the sower, he's throwing the seed, he's scattering the seed, but it's landing on the path, <laughs> and it's landing in the place where there are thorns and weeds already. It's like, you're really bad at scattering seed. I went out to go scatter my grass seed, right? I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, wee, wee, but I'm like, oh, I got some on the sidewalk, and I took my broom and swept it back in the grass, you know? Like, oh, I'm not going to throw it there. That's the brush pile. Nothing will grow there. The sower in our story is remarkably inefficient. He keeps on sowing the seed. He keeps on sowing the seed. He doesn't care where it lands. He just goes. And he recognizes that it's up to God's providence what happens once those seeds are sown. And so Jesus gives away the seed um, in our reading today. He sows the seeds. He looks out the crowds and he knows, he knows that this crowd it looks for all intents and purposes like this crowd is there and things are going wonderfully and his ministry is booming and great godly things are happening, but he knows that as he's preaching, it's not hitting everybody, but he's going to do it anyway. Everybody gets the word, right? Um, but it only is going to hit some people and Jesus doesn't care. He does it anyway. And practically speaking, I think it's a vision for us as well that we love and we preach and we talk about God's love in the kingdom. We talk about grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and we do so to a blue in the mouth, and we just don't care where it lands. We're just going to trust that God's going to continue to till soil and do the mysterious thing outside of our control. And we continue, in the meantime, to share God's love, just like the sower. Lots and lots of seeds everywhere, inefficiently, all the time. I'll tell you an example of this from the history of the church, and then we'll conclude. I want to tell you about St. Monica. When I think of someone who represents the sower, who really wants a particular certain uh, bit of soil to, to, to blossom and to grow, I think of St. Monica. Um, St. Monica was born in 331. You're looking at the early church here, 331, early church saint. Her mother was cruel and abusive. She arranged for St. Monica to be married to a cruel and abusive and unfaithful pagan husband. Um, she was a Christian. Her husband was not. Her mother was not. Um, and he forbade her from having her kids, uh, the fair three kids, ra raised in the faith. He said, absolutely not. Well, the two youngest children, despite their father's disapproval, came to their mother's faith. So of the three kids, the two younger ones, they followed their mom's footsteps. But the oldest followed his father, the oldest son. Uh, he was lazy, he was unmotivated, and he was hedonistic. And when Monica's husband eventually died, um, she would never remarry, but she sent her firstborn to Carthage in North Africa for an education. And the son, while he was there, he fell in love with philosophy and rhetoric and, and, and basically had an intellectual, like his mind blew up, and he really got into it. He found something he was passionate about in philosophy and public speaking, and, and while he was there, he didn't just fall in love with philosophy, he also fell in love with a woman, and he shacked up and had a kid with her. <laughs> and, but, but, and he also found religion, just not the Christian religion. He found another religion. 
And the story goes that he was home on break visiting with his mother, and they were talking about this new religion at the dinner table, and, and they got really into it. And he was poking her, and she was not having it, and she finally said, get out of my house. <laughs> and she kicked him out of the house. And God came to her in a dream that night and said, hey, you need to go reconcile with your son. So she went and got him and said, all right, come back, get in here. But all this time, right, you have a mother who is desperate for her son to come to know Jesus. And so what is she doing? She's praying. She's talking with him. She's repeatedly over and over again sowing the seed. She's um, talking about the Bible. She's talking about her own experience. She's praying for him, asking how to pray for him. She's loving him as Jesus loved her as best to her ability. This whole time, she's, she's trying with desperation to throw the seeds out and praying, God, get your tiller out. Get your tiller out. Not in those words, but you know what I'm saying. Well, eventually, Monica's oldest son left North Africa, the home, his home, and landed in Milan. And Monica, a few years later, followed him there to keep tabs on him primarily. And while in Milan, her son, this eldest son, reconnected or connected with a local bishop. And this local bishop proved just to be smart, as, as, as smart as the oldest son. He was, he was, this bishop was philosophically minded. He was very good at rhetoric. But on top of that, this bishop... Um, sort of became a surrogate father. He became the father, a, a good Christian father that this boy never had. And so now there were two people sowing seeds in this young man's direction, right? There was his spiritual father and his mother. They were working together. And now, what happened next? Well, the Lord took his time. It would take another 15 years after moving to Milan before this son of Monica's has a spiritual encounter with God and becomes a Christian. It took Monica 31 years of prayer and preaching, of frustration and anger, of throwing seeds at soil that wouldn't grow before she finally got to see the sprouts grow from the earth. She followed him across the sea. She parented and poked and prodded and loved. She apologized. She modeled God's love as best she could. And Monica would die about six months later, after her son's conversion. And she would die joyful that all three of her children had indeed come to know Jesus. That the soil had indeed be tilled. And she got to see those blossoms happen in her lifetime. Um, you probably know St. Monica's son better than you know St. Monica. Um, St. Monica, of course, is the mother of the man who got sainted himself, St. Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine of Hippo, if you know anything about church history, he is, hands down, the greatest theologian to ever come out of the church. He is one of the greatest philosophers in the history of Western civilization and probably one of the smartest human beings that God has ever made. And he came to know Jesus at 31 years old because of his mother's stubborn commitment to spreading seed on soil that was hard. She did not give up. Because if she did, well, we might have missed out on one of our faith's biggest champions and heaviest hitters. I think that's a good word for us, a vision of how to apply this, this sower passage to our lives today. Um, because we all have people in our lives, we all have communities and, and groups and people where, where we don't see Jesus and we say, you know, if y'all just had Jesus, this would go so much easier. And if you just had Jesus, your problems would get better. And, and like Jesus, we too can keep throwing the word out. It doesn't matter what the soil looks like. We keep throwing the word out and praying for God to till that soil. 
took 31 years for Monica. Maybe it'll take longer for us. I don't know. But the point here is that Jesus, unlike Vincent Van Gogh, he didn't stop. He didn't see bad soil as a challenge to his labors. The great sower continues to cast out seeds to anyone and everyone with even a passing interest in the mission and kingdom of God. And he's just trusting that behind the scenes, God is doing the tilling work. And if he's faithful on his end, that's all he's required to do. Are we all glad that there was someone in our life, a friend, a relative, a pastor, a teacher? Are we all glad that someone didn't give up on us when our soil was hard? That someone kept throwing seeds in our direction, they kept giving us God's word, when, when maybe we at a certain point in our life were hard soil? Aren't we glad that we can look back in our life and see moments of God's judgment and mercy coming together and, and unearthing things and doing the tilling work in our hearts? so that the word could take root and grow. Um, don't we look back with gratitude for the fact that at one point we were hard soil, but now something has blossomed there that is from outside us that we could not manage ourselves. I think, friends, we see in our parable, fundamentally, a parable of a gracious God who doesn't say no to hard soil, who gets his hands dirty to weed out that which is wicked and displeasing, so that we can grow and thrive as we were supposed to in that first garden oh so many years ago. See in our reading, friends, a God who loves us enough to keep sowing the seeds of the gospel, even if we aren't prepared to hear it, and rejoice that this God of death and resurrection, this God of seed and souls, promises that his kingdom is for us. And that's what we give thanks for this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.